I'm not waiting on a signal, I don't think. So I'm ready to go if you guys are ready to go. So good morning, H2O. And uh, don't you just love the way that Jesus is using H2O to willing, let you guys have a place to willingly and cheerfully serve the Lord Jesus, whether it's through leading people through worship, going out and serving him uh, when you're doing even that Blitz Week that Grant was promoting. That's a very great place to be. I've been there before. I highly recommend it. Uh, or just going and, and evangelizing on campus, uh, your classes, your um, life group that you have that meets, all those things. Really, really good stuff. And we should be very thankful that God allows us the privilege to come and do those things right here where we live in America. It's a good place. So this place here, you see, is good. It's a good place for old people like me to come back to a college so I can sit here and, and stand here and look around and look at you guys and say, you know what? I remember when I almost had enough ambition to go to college, <laughs> but I didn't. I was close. I'm hoping that you guys here and me, um, we're ready to worship God in spirit and in truth, how he wants us to do that. And I'm hoping that even we'll... Uh, maybe contemplate whether, do we really know who God is and what does his Bible say about him? Maybe that's what you're thinking today. Do I really know God? Do I know who he is? And so as we think about summer in Ohio, we know that we've had pretty good weather lately, right? Everything's been pretty good. Uh, it's not 93 with the heat index. It feels like 110 or it's not gloomy and, and gross and cloudy every day. And you might even hear people say, we have great weather. There's not a cloud in the sky, which that's good, except I really like clouds. I am very, very much a cloud person. So um, I want to be clear that we're not talking about the cloud, you know, that thing that people like me do not understand. My wife will tell us I hate the cloud or whatever that thing is that shows up on my iPad every now and then. <laughs> but we're talking about those big fluffy things that are outside, those big white clouds could be gray. And we're talking about those big fluffy things in the sky. And I want to tell you that clouds are mentioned several times in the scripture. Uh, they're closely identified with God. Isaiah would tell us in Isaiah 19:1, Behold, the Lord rises upon a cloud and, and shall come into Egypt. Revelation says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one set like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Other places in the Bible that you probably know, if you've studied the Bible at all, you may know that the children of Israel were led by a cloud through the wilderness. Um, God spoke to Moses in a cloud on Mount Sinai. Uh, God appeared to Aaron on the Day of Atonement at the mercy seat in a cloud. Um, the glory of the Lord left the temple in Jerusalem in a cloud. Uh, God spoke in a cloud at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Uh, we will be caught up in the clouds at the rapture. Clouds, 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 and more clouds. I told you like clouds. We're going to talk about clouds a little bit today. So here's what I want you to do. This is mandatory. You have to play along with us, or at least pretend like you're doing this. Um, we're going to use our imaginations to begin our time together, all right? I can't prove it, but I'm certain that each of us have an imagination, all right? Does anybody not have an imagination? We're good to go then. Go to, in your imagination, go to your favorite grassy hillside, that's where you're at right now. You're, you can close your eyes if you want. I'm letting you do that. It's okay. Go to your favorite grassy hillside. It's a warm spring day. It's not summer. It's a spring day, the kind with a big blue sky. You can see all these clouds coming by, rolling by you in a continual fluffy cloud parade. Uh, you're lying up there with your hands on the back of your head like this. You know, you're lying down looking up at the sky. 
You're looking up in wonder and amazement at what you see before you. There's a slight breeze blowing, enough to keep you cool, but not enough to be annoying. And on this particular day, this particular parade of clouds, there is enough shapes that you can see anything you want. All right, you can see um, the mushroom cloud, which you cannot see. <laughs> and Cassie warned me, you can't. Trust me, it's there. Uh, you can see a snail go by. You can see a baseball. You might see a trumpet go by. A rocket ship would shoot by. A horse would go by. And if we could see this, which you may be able to see, you would see a dolphin going by. Um, a dolphin, I think someone spent a lot of time in Photoshop class and made it look a lot more like a dolphin <laughs> than a cloud. I think someone's cheating on that one. Um, you'd also see an island. You'd also see Mickey Mouse. Um, you would also likely see the disembodied floating head of Colonel Sanders. Actually, that's just my imagination. <laughs> Don't do that one. Um, as always, as always, there's a duck. In every cloud parade, there's a duck. That's him right there. But as you watch these clouds in your head and in your mind, as you watch these things go by, every last trace of those clouds disappears. It just, it's gone as you watch them roll by. The baseball rolls away. The trumpet slips away into the distance. The rocket ship uh, changes shape and then kind of flies off into the distance forever. Even that cute little ducky bids us farewell and is seen no more. As our day rolls on and the weather changes, every single image that we saw in the clouds, completely gone. Nowhere to be found, not a trace left anywhere. My hope and my prayer is that that image that we've kind of painted here will help us have a clear understanding of God's word this morning. His word, his holy Bible that is written by men that are divinely inspired by God himself. And it's a word that is a revelation of God to man, to you, to me. His word that is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. His word has God for its author. His word has salvation for its end. And his word has truth without any mixture of air whatsoever for its matter. His word that is totally true and his word that is totally trustworthy. We're going to look at the book of Isaiah today, one of my favorite books. We will not be reading the entire book because that would take a really long time because it's a really long book. We're going to look at one single verse. We're going to look at one single verse from Isaiah. And as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking to myself, what does the average guy or girl know about Isaiah? Is he perhaps just another man with a long gray beard and a long gray hair who looks a lot like Noah and Abraham and all those other guys we know with long gray hair and long gray beards? Is he just a prophet? <clears throat> but I want to tell you a few things about Isaiah that I know from him. If you look at his life, you would know that his name means the Lord is salvation. Did you know that Isaiah is quoted more than 65 times in the New Testament, far more than any other old-time prophet? I'm not saying he's Jesus' favorite, but he's, he's pretty, pretty, pretty popular. Um, he's mentioned by name over 20 times. He's also the son of Amos, and he was probably born and educated in Jerusalem, which makes him an excellent candidate to be a prophet around there because he knows what's going on. He ministered around Jerusalem and in Judea, or in Judah, in those reigns, in reigns of four kings in his time. 
He likely came from a family of high social status uh, because he had real easy access to the king. He was married and he had two sons, um, both, both of those sons whose names I have absolutely no chance of pronouncing properly, and I'm not even going to try. We'll just skip that part. But he did have two sons. And when God called him to be a prophet, he responded with cheerful readiness. And this could actually be a great lesson that Grant should probably preach on to kick off an upcoming Sunday sermon series, how to be ready with cheerful readiness when God calls you. That's how Isaiah was. God called him to be a prophet. He responded with cheerful readiness, even though the road ahead of him, at the beginning of his calling, he knew it was not going to be easy. Isaiah 6, verses 9 through 13 would show us it's not going to be an easy route. Isaiah had a quite the brilliant writing style. He wrote very well. He used imagery in a spectacular way, and he had a rich, a very rich, rich vocabulary. Second Chronicles records that Isaiah wrote a biography of King Hezekiah. And I personally am very amazed that a lot of times um, Isaiah's prophecies that he had came true while he was still on the earth. Uh, the most well-known, the Lord healed Hezekiah, a king back then in Isaiah's time, of a critical illness just as Isaiah said he would, right there, right before their eyes back in biblical times. Isaiah was also a gifted preacher. He was someone who, um, he, was a, he was sometimes known as an evangelical prophet. He spoke a lot about God's grace towards Israel. And from Isaiah 53, is probably the best known chapter of Isaiah. Uh, it portrays Christ, our Savior, as the Lamb of God, as that slain Lamb of God. Tons of good Christmas references in there that you know also. Um, Tradition has it, last thing about Isaiah that we'll talk about. Tradition has it, he met his death under King Manasseh by being cut in two with a wooden saw. That's it. All right, so was all that information necessary, all that background information necessary for today's message? Nope. Not at all. It really wasn't. But the more, I want to remind you that the more you read, the more you study, the more you learn about God's word, the more you realize what a great gift his word is to you and to me and to all of us, the more you realize it is a gigantic love letter from God Almighty, the Father, to us, and you realize what a great gift God has given us. Get involved in God's word. Pursue it fiercely. Isaiah 44, 22 says this, and it's up on the screen. Good job, Cassie. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. God tells us right here, he swept away our offenses like a cloud, our sins like the morning mist. And it's going to bring us to our first thought. Simply this, God completely sweeps away all of our sins. As we mentioned earlier, we had our, little, our, our parade of those visualized clouds, and they, they, you know, we've seen the duck, we've seen all those things, and they were completely swept away, completely gone, swept away out of sight, nowhere to be found, no way are they coming, being brought back to us, before us. And, and we may go back and say, well, remember when we saw that dolphin that day, you know, that perfect dolphin float by us? We may say, I remember that dolphin on that day. But those clouds and those images are gone. Likewise, um, our sins, when we know God through Jesus, are swept away just like those clouds. Uh, we may return to the thoughts of our, our sins we've, that we've committed before. We may have memories of those sins and go back to those. The devil may bring those back up in our lives. 
as Christians, we should know that we don't have to do that, but we're really bad about bringing back our own sins up and letting them fester in our lives and, and letting the devil use those against us. So all of those sins that God sweeps away are gone, completely gone. I don't know where they go. I don't know where, I mean, I don't know where these clouds go that we talked about. The clouds are gone for sure. I don't know where they go. Where do the sins go? The psalmist tells us this. Psalm 103.12 says this. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removes our transgressions from us. Jesus Christ has removed our sins farther away from us than we can ever imagine or even begin to comprehend. You see, east and west never meet. It's really just a symbolic portrait of the greatness of God's forgiveness. He forgives us of our sins, and he chooses not to remember them, those sins, and he separates us from those sins. Knowing this, knowing this, we know, we trust in God's word through faith. We know he's forgiven us of those sins. He swept those away. Knowing that, we need to not wallow in the past. We need to not go back and let those things affect us. We know God has forgiven and God has chosen to forget our sins and separate us from those. And let's face it, you know, for whatever reason, we as people, we do that. We dredge up our ugly past. We talk about it. Uh, even though if we believe God's word, we know he has wiped our record completely clean. A different, a different prophet, Jeremiah, was speaking to the Israelites about this new covenant. And he told them this truth that I'm about to read to you. It helps us out with knowing where those sins go. It's a truth that is a truth for those of us who know God through Jesus, even today. This truth is still here, like all of God's truths found in his word. It's in the last part of Jeremiah 31, 34. And God tells us this through the words of Jeremiah. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Again, when God forgives you of your sins, it's a done deal. It's usually ourselves or the devil that keeps bringing these sins back up, keeps bringing up our past. As a matter of fact, if we look at what the writer of Hebrews says, and he was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ when he wrote this, he says this, speaking of Jesus, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Unlike the high priests of old times who were sinful and required to offer sacrifices continually for themselves and for the people and even offer sacrifices for himself and the people on the day of atonement, the Lord Jesus Christ had no sin, no sin whatsoever, and needed no sacrifice for himself. Only one sacrifice was needed by the Lord Jesus Christ. One time, one sacrifice for all men, for all time. It's a done deal. And each day we should praise God that the sacrificial event that took place with Jesus Christ on the cross never, ever needs to be repeated and treated as such. Thank him for forgiveness of our sins and thank him that it does not have to go on again, that he has done it once and for all. Trust him that he is good enough to die for our sins. If you know God through Jesus, he's forgiven you of your sins forever. They're indeed swept away just like our clouds. All right, go back to our, our hillside for a little bit. You don't have to close your eyes this time because we'll make this one shorter. You're back on your hillside. 
you're thinking about those clouds, and they're coming in all kinds of shapes and sizes, right? They're just blowing on past you. You know, you see all those shapes come by again. And we know from doing this that they come in lots of different shapes, lots of different sizes, lots of different directions, lots of different speeds. They're coming at you all over the place. Our sin in our life can also look a lot like that image. Our sin can come at us in many different ways, in many different forms, lots of different directions. Uh, One person may struggle with pornography. Another may struggle with gambling. One might struggle with gossiping or coarse joking. Um, One might struggle with the one we can all admit that we have, and that's uh, we don't do enough right things for God. We admit that one, but we struggle with all kinds of different different things that, that are sinful. The good news, what we just read, and the verses back it up, that Jesus sacrificed once and for all for each and every one of these sins. I remind you that no sin, no matter what you've done, no sin is so bad that it's not covered by the spilled blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for that truth, each of us should be exceedingly thankful. Go back. We're on our hillside again. Actually, we never did leave there, so we're, just, we're still there. We're thinking about some of those clouds looking really pleasant, all right? Beautiful, great, white, fluffy clouds. Uh, sometimes they really look good for a while, and then they're eventually followed by those big, dark storm clouds that come in. They change into dark storm clouds. They come on in. Sometimes we see things that look good to us, you know, the passing pleasures of sin. The Bible even tells us that sin is fun for a season, and we give in to them. But like those storm clouds, when we're involved in sinful things, it blocks us from God's light that we can receive through reading his word. When we're involved in sinful things, we usually don't want to go right and start reading God's word or praising him, but we're blocked out by that cloud, that sinfulness. Think about this with me for a minute. You know, you have Mr. Sun up there, that big orange thing, one of the strongest forces in the universe, right? All kinds of light, all kinds of heat, yet a thick cloud is able to block out that light and heat. You've sat out there on a sunny day, here comes this big cloud, it blocks it. It's not an eclipse, but I mean, it's, it makes the sun kind of ineffective. If you've traveled by plane before, which I know some of you have, some of you just got back from Honduras not too long ago, you went on that plane ride. Uh, You know that you can leave on a dark and dreary day. You fly for a little bit. In a few minutes, you pass through those clouds. Boom, there's the sun just shining down on you with all its brightness. All the while, that sun was there. It didn't go anywhere. It's always been there. The only difference was that thick cloud between you, that source of light, and and that big sun. I mean, the only difference is that cloud is interfering with that sun getting through to you. So is it with your sins. You know, our sins only, they darken our world. They darken the world around us. And when we see that approaching storm coming, when we see those dark clouds brewing, when we see that on the horizon, that's when we need to seek shelter. We all know about this from all the weather terrorists we hear every day about how the big storm is coming, you know, whether it be snow, thunderstorms, tornadoes, whatever. Approaching storm is coming. You need to take shelter. Find the strongest room in your house get there. Everyone's going to die. This is how it goes with the weather terrorists. When we give in to our sin and leave it unconfessed in our lives, when we have the sin, we don't go to God, we don't confess it, it gathers up like a storm and it brings darkness into our lives and it brings destruction to our lives and it blocks out what God's trying to say to us. So what do we do about that? We know it happens, so what are we going to do about it? The answer is this. Seek shelter in God. 
The psalmist wrote in Psalm 61, in verses 2 through 4, he told us how to, how to seek shelter. He said this, From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Your heart's overwhelmed? Seek shelter in God. Seek shelter in that rock that is higher than you. Seek shelter in that God who is bigger than all of your problems, that God who can forgive you of all your sins, that God who is a strong tower from the enemy. Abide in that tabernacle, we're told from the psalmist. This is not our natural tendency. When we're messing up, we don't run to God a lot of times. Uh, Paul talks about it in Romans 7, how we want to do things. We want to do the right things, but we don't do that. We want to go to God when we're messing up, but we don't do that. Instead, we tend to want to hide from him. And when the storms are coming around us, we have to remind ourselves we must, absolutely must, seek refuge in God Almighty. But a lot of times we just don't do that. How can we help ourselves in that area? Think about Jesus during his temptation in the desert, right? Satan leads him out into the desert. He's tempted by all things that will face all sin in one form or another. And knowing that he faced all those sins and never did give in to temptation, uh, Jesus used God's scripture, used the word to remind himself or to, remind, to, fight, God, to fight the devil's words. Um, knowing that Jesus has faced all things that we're going to face and conquered them. Knowing that his word in 1 Corinthians 10.13 reminds us of this. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Knowing that Jesus has faced what we're facing, knowing that God hasn't given us anything we can't run from, something that's not something that we can't bear, knowing these things to be true, go to God. Go to God, cry out to God, let Him be your shelter. Let him be your strong tower. Trust in him, and that's how you get through those storms that we face. That's how we get through the storms, by trusting God. I mentioned that Jesus used God's word as he, was, as he was fighting off the temptations that Satan was throwing at him. I mentioned before that we need to keep studying and learning God's word, and, and it's not just so we can know it, but God's word says, you know, hide it in your heart so you won't sin against him. Uh, A lot of us may know from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make make straight your paths. Don't stop there. Keep on reading that verse. It's a verse that we recite so often, we read it on people's refrigerators or walls, maybe we don't think about it enough. Don't stop with just that part, but keep reading. God says, Be not wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh. We follow God. We lean on him. We trust him. We run to him for shelter. Don't be wise in our own eyes. Turn away from from sin, and he heals us up. God helps us through those and heals us. We looked today already how uh, Isaiah 44, 22 tells us that God sweeps away our offenses. I want us to look at that verse again. We might read it a few times. I only picked out one verse for us to read a lot, but we'll read that one a bunch. You can memorize it maybe by the end of it. 
I want to look at it to keep it fresh on our minds, to know what we're talking about, to try to help us to put God's word into effect, let it be a part of our lives. Um, Isaiah said, I've swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. The King James Version would tell us that God blotted out our sins. We know that we don't deserve our sins to be blotted out. We know that we don't deserve our sins forgiven. We're not good, the Bible would tell us, but God is. It brings me to our second thought. It's simply this. It is an act of mercy demonstrated when God blots out our sin completely. Each of us here, we know who we are, sinful men and women, deserving of punishment from a just God. But what does he do? He blots out or sweeps away our sins. The penalty of sin is death or eternal separation from God. I read it in his true word. I know it's true. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Instead of manifesting his anger upon us and carrying out the judgment that we deserve, instead of God doing that, God in his sovereignty and for his own reasons chose to show us mercy and chose to show us grace because of his love. And what do I mean by grace? Simply put, grace is when we don't get what we deserve. Or when we get, sorry, I confused that a little. When we get what we don't deserve. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. A related subject. Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. Um, maybe you can recall the story of, uh, from Luke. Okay, it's from uh, possibly the first chapter. I'm not sure. But it's a good story. It's about Jesus calling four fishermen as disciples. He's calling these men. He's teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And he sees these two boats. And they're by the lake. But the fishermen were away from the boats. And they were off washing their nets. Jesus gets into the boats, he gets into Simon Peter's boat, and he asks him, hey, row out into the middle of the lake. From there, he began teaching. When Jesus, our Lord, was done teaching, he told Simon, go to the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. You're going to catch some fish. Simon, who was a, a very, very good fisherman, an accomplished fisherman, had, probably had the biblical version of a Gorton uh, fisherman's jacket, the yellow, whatever those uh, weatherproof jackets are, probably had a gray beard with fish scales in it. He was good. He was a good fisherman. He told Jesus, we had already fished all night. We haven't had a bite. We haven't done anything. We haven't done any good. But because Jesus asked, he said, I'll let the net down anyway. If you know the story, they caught so many fish that their net was breaking. They asked for help. Another boat comes out. They throw their net over. Both boats are just filled up with fish. They both begin to sink. This miraculous thing is taking place. All these fish everywhere, boats sinking. Simon sees it. He falls down and worships Jesus. And he says this, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Everyone there was astonished at that catch. Jesus' words to Simon were just this, Do not be afraid, for now you will catch men. We talked about mercy and grace. At this very second, the Lord Jesus showed Simon both mercy in grace. Simon confesses his sins to him. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to smite you because you're a sinner. He doesn't condemn him for confessing his sins to him, but he shows him love and he affirms that he's going to willingly use him in his kingdom. 
when we see miracles take place, such as when I go to God as a non-believer, as someone who doesn't know God, I go to him and I say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. We see this miraculous thing take place where God forgives me of those sins. We're falling down knowing that we've done wrong, but God does the same exact thing. He says, I forgive you of your sins. I'm not going to condemn you. You can go and be part of my kingdom and serve and be part of my family forever. That's the grace that God shows. He shows mercy by not just smiting us to smithereens because we're sinners, and then he shows us that grace by allowing us to serve in his kingdom and do wonderful things and great and mighty things for him. You see, when we follow Christ and we go back and we confess our sins to him, he does not hold those sins against us. He doesn't bring those up and punish us for them every time. He chooses to show us mercy and grace and tells us that he will use us in his kingdom. All right, I'm going to have a, a minor public service announcement. Because of God's grace and mercy, because of what he does for you, what he did on the cross for you, past, present, and future sins are forgiven. And we know that. We should know that, that Jesus said they're all forgiven. Oh, they're a pretty good trick. Jesus expects you to serve in his kingdom when you have been forgiven by him. The great opportunity would be that blitz week coming up. Put that into play. God said, you've been forgiven. We can read all over in the Bible where Jesus said, go out and do what I want you to do. Don't just be a hearer of my word, be a doer. And so at this time, I said a public service announcement, but just take a quick personal survey of your life, thinking about how many opportunities do you have to serve Jesus, the one who died for you, how many opportunities do you have to serve him, and how often you find yourself too busy to serve him in this battle for lost souls. Just take a minute and think, you know, what am I doing? Am I making a priority to serve him? Or am I making a priority everything else that I love better than him in my life? Am I serving Christ the way he wants me to do that? The Bible is really clear. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We talked about how that punishment for that is, for punishment for sin is death. That's the way God does it because he's a holy and just God. But he goes on to tell us because of his grace and mercy, he gives us eternal life when we come to him. It's right here in Romans 5.8. We can see it plainly. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Everyone in here should find it utterly amazing that God in his sovereignty, sovereignty decided to show us the grace and mercy that allows us to have eternal life, to be in his family, even though he knew how me and you were going to turn out. God still loves us that much. We are sinful people that deserve death, yet God loves us enough and showed us his loving kindness and chose to spare us from that death, from that eternal separation from him. And he wants, God actually wants all of us to be saved. And he wants us to spend eternity with him. He is a good and loving and wonderful God. I want to remind you today simply that God will sweep away all your sins when you know him through Jesus Christ. Sweep them away forever. He'll blot out your sins forever. All of, his, all of our sins have been taken care of by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But we want to be clear that God offers this salvation freely to those who will accept 
Jesus as their Savior. It doesn't just go to everyone. It's offered to everyone. You have to go and take that free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. All right, back to our hillside. I think this is our last visit there. You're at that spring day, and those peaceful clouds are floating by. They're rolling by. The wind is blowing just right still. Um, If you want to, you can close your eyes and imagine some stuff at this time, or if you've already had your eyes closed for a long period of time, that's okay too. But I have a valid reason for you to close your eyes this time. Although now I think about it, you won't be able to do that. You'll have to read with your eyes closed. That ain't going to work. So here's what we want to do. Take for a minute and think about these questions I'm going to throw at you. Take for a minute and prayerfully consider. And you can close your eyes. I guess I can just read them to you. Have I accepted this free gift of salvation from God? Have I accepted the gift that God has freely offered me because of his grace? Do I truly know God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ? And for those who know him, do my actions show that I am one of his children? So just contemplate those questions for just a minute. Do I know God through Jesus? Have I accepted this free gift that God has offered me? Do I truly know God through faith in his son, Jesus? And if you already know him, do my actions show that I am one of his children? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for this uh, word you have. Uh, Thank you, Father, that you've given us your truth. And Father, we pray that you would guide the rest of this teaching, that your spirit and him alone would teach. Uh, Father, that you would guide us into being doers of your word and not just hearers. Father, if anyone does not know you through Jesus, that even as we speak a little more, uh, Father, your spirit would prompt them to know that you are Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Actually, I faked you out. I wasn't done yet. I knew when I said that, I thought, you know what? If I'm praying right now, it's okay. Oh, yeah, three points. I'm Southern Baptist. I got to have one more point in here. All right, and this is an important part, too, so it's okay. So we can see here what we've looked at so far. <laughs> the last part of that verse, I'm going to read it again, 44:22. I like reading this verse a lot. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like morning mist. God says, return to me, for I have redeemed you. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. God says, return to me. Redeemed simply means we're bought back at a price. Um, Those of us who know Jesus have been redeemed by him. We've been bought back by him. 1 Corinthians 6.20 would tell us this. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Because you're bought at a price, again, your sins have been forgiven. Um, We've talked about today how God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. And if we believe this, why are we living any other way than a way that is something close to God? When we talked about God's grace and mercy, uh, before we knew God, we were separated from him by our sins. The Bible's clear about that. We chose, the Bible said, to make ourselves enemies of him. We have each chosen to make ourselves his enemy. Now that we know Jesus, if you know him, uh, we obey that gracious command he's given us. Return to him. When we mess up, return to him. If you don't know him, he still made you, created you in his image, return to him. When my wife and I work with the youth, we constantly remind the youth, when you mess up, and they did a lot, just like we do, 
The worst thing you can do is run from God. Do not run from God. For one thing, it's impossible to get away from him. But the best choice is to run to him, confess the sins that you've done. He already knows about them. Just be in agreement. Hey, I've messed up. I've done wrong. And just do what Isaiah says, return to me. We reminded them of that often quoted verse from John, 1 John 1, 9. When you run back to God, you can remind yourself of this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we truly believe that God no longer holds our sins against us, when we truly believe that and he doesn't hold those sins against us, we know he does not, we can return to an intimate relationship with him and serve him as he wants us to do. I want you to think about Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. And this is where uh, Jesus is about to tell Simon Peter, you're going to fail. You're going to mess up. You're going to deny me, is what Jesus is telling him. But before Jesus gives him the bad news, all this stuff that he tells him, he says something that Peter, I think, probably thought about for the rest of his life. Jesus said this to Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. As we read God's word in his entirety, he'll tell us the same message. He told Peter, you're going to mess up. That's the first thing he told him. Secondly, he told Peter, you're on my prayer list. And it's a good thing to know if you're on Jesus' prayer list. And you guys are. There's, there's a verse that tells us that Jesus prays for us, intercedes for us. And thirdly, um, Jesus gives Peter a promise. He didn't say, if you return, or I hope you're going to return, or it's my desire that you return, or boy, you're going to be in trouble if you don't return. He didn't give him any of that stuff. He just said, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. In other words, Jesus said, you're going to mess up. And he tells us that too. We know we're going to. We're, we're human. We're sinful. We're fallen. But it's going to be okay. Go to him and confess your sins. He's going to restore you. And you can be put back right into the kingdom work right then. In Philippians, uh, Paul reemphasizes the words of Jesus. And he said he's very confident of this thing, that he, is, he who has begun a good work in him will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is telling us, just as Jesus told Peter, return to me. And I think it's in Joel, in chapter 2, it says, return to the Lord. In the second half of the verse, it says, return to the Lord for he is gracious in mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Return to God and he will restore your soul. On the flip side, run from God and you'll find yourself exactly where the adversary wants you. You'll find yourself away from the fellowship of H2O, probably. You'll run from God, and you don't want to hang out with people who are hanging out with God. You'll find yourself very susceptible to the one who the Bible describes as someone who's prowling around like a roaring lion, and you'll find yourself very susceptible to being devoured by that very person. The lesson that Isaiah is teaching us, return to God. Don't run from him. Hopefully, hopefully today my prayer is that we learn together that if we know God through faith in Jesus Christ, if we know him, we know that he has swept away our sins like a cloud. He has swept them away. He blots out our sins completely. 
we, find out, we found out, too, it's an act of mercy, that we have never done anything to deserve to be treated as lovingly as we are by God. As a matter of fact, God says that our works are something that can never get us to heaven. Our works are as filthy rags before him. We can't be saved by being good people because we simply are not that. But because God loves us, it is an act of mercy when he blots out or forgives us of our sins. And finally, he gives us that gracious, loving command that he told Peter that Jesus told Peter, return to me. And notice that God doesn't wait for a while, you know, and send Peter a text or something a week later and say, return to me. Right then, he restores him and says, let's go. You know, I've forgiven you. Let's get back to what we're doing here. All right, remember God loves you. Remember the things we talked about? And as the van comes forward, <laughs> and I quit confusing them. I'm going to do that one more time, though, I think. Uh, really think about, do you, do you know God through Jesus? If you don't, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up here with some worship music, and uh, I'll be somewhere if you want to talk about Jesus, and I'll show you what the Bible says about him if you want to do that. Thank you.